Today we're going to be uh, concluding our four Christmas series where we've been looking at the Christmas story from four different perspectives. Uh, And to start each of these weeks, uh, we've reflected on this uh, verse in John chapter 2. And Jesus uh, says something quite profound here. He says, uh, says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. uh, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Uh, For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Um, And so this should cause us to ask the question when we read this, uh, what kind of person does God trust? Uh, Because it's very clear here that people were putting their faith or the trust into Jesus, uh, but he was not putting his trust into them. Uh, And so that's kind of a haunting question. What kind of person does God put his trust into? Uh, and the second question is even uh, maybe more haunting is, am I the type of person that God puts his uh, trust into? Um, and so are you that type of person? Uh, and we looked at the Christmas story because we can see most clearly uh, who God entrusts himself to. When you think of the Christmas story, it's God coming, into the, coming to earth in the form of a human, in the form of a baby, in this vulnerable, vulnerable form. Uh, and so obviously God is coming into a situation with a group of people in whom he is placing a lot of trust as he comes in the form of an infant. Uh, and so when we look at the characters in the Christmas story, we see that God entrusts himself to the shepherds because uh, God entrusts himself to the simple. Uh, and uh, when we say simple, we don't just mean simple-minded. We mean humble, that God trusts himself to those who are humble, uh, that those who are ready to receive. He, God entrusts himself to Joseph. Why? Because God entrusts himself to the faithful. Joseph was someone who was faithful to God uh, throughout his life, He was faithful to God in how he understood and obeyed the scriptures that God had given. He was faithful to God when God spoke to him and told him to get up and to move and and what he ought to do. And Joseph's first response was to say yes. Uh, God entrusted himself to the Magi, even though they weren't of Jewish descent. Uh, They were pagans coming from a different country, but God entrusted the revelation of who he was to them. Why? Because God entrusts himself to seekers. Now, if I asked you which character in the Christmas story you most identified with, I'm not sure if you would pick one of those three, maybe. Uh, Maybe you would uh, pick somebody else that that we didn't mention in the Christmas story. Uh, But for me, uh, the person I probably, if I'm totally honest, should most identify with is the person Herod. Um. And I think a lot of us are more like Herod than we like to think. I mean, Herod Herod is a pretty huge figure. Um, He's not a very likable figure. uh, But I think we see some of the pitfalls of our humanity in the person of Herod most clearly. And we see that God withholds himself from Herod because God withholds himself from the proud. When God wrote the Christmas story, Herod was on the outside of the Christmas story looking in. So are we the type of people that God trusts. Well, I think getting up in minus 30, showing up in the World Cup final to church is a good start. Uh, God, we're trustworthy. Um, but Herod is an interesting character. He was a puppet king, a client king of Judea. He was kind of uh, the king that was put in place to represent Rome's ruled rule. Uh, Herod wasn't even a Jewish person, but he was just very, very politically 
smart. He was astute. Uh, He was known as a builder. Uh, Herod built a lot of stuff over the course of his lifetime, over the course of his rule. Uh, he built, uh, rebuilt the Jerusalem temple. He, re- he built port cities, aqueducts even, uh, built his own kind of mountain with a city palace on it called Herodium uh, so that, you know, people would know who he was, was um, and he would be famous. So he was very, very driven and he was ambitious and his ambition in the end uh, got the best of him and his, his ambition and his desire to be famous, to be known, to leave a legacy for people to talk about him was his downfall. Now, a little bit of a backdrop before we get into the person of Herod in the biblical story. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the, uh, the person of Julius Caesar who died in 44 BC. He was assassinated. Um, and so after Julius Caesar was assassinated, uh, there's two kind of key characters that we, we need to be mindful of. Octavius, who was uh, Julius Caesar's nephew, who would later become known as Caesar Augustus whom we encounter in the Christmas story. Uh, there's Octavius, and then there's Mark Antony, uh, kind of came together to avenge the death of Julius Caesar. And as time went by, and all their enemies were destroyed, uh, and they were avenging uh, Julius Caesar's death, these two guys were eventually going to come head-to-hand, head-to-head, and there was only room for one of them. Uh, and so it's kind of a messy situation. Uh, Mark Antony actually married Octavius's sister, but was having an affair, get this, with the Egyptian queen Cleopatra, who was also sleeping with Julius Caesar before he died. Now, if that's not an awkward family Christmas, I don't know what is. Like, that is a messed up situation. So, you know, there's lots going on uh, here in the story. Uh, and so Mark, Anthony, and Octavius actually aligned for, for a little bit of time um, because they had a common goal in avenging the death of Julius Caesar. So they were successful in that goal uh, in that they were accumulating power and wealth. They were defeating their their enemies. Um, And Herod befriended, uh, as this was happening, Herod befriended Mark Antony. Remember, he was quite uh, politically savvy. And so he was uh, trying to align himself with whoever was in power. So he befriended Mark Antony and his wife Cleopatra, and Roman uh, citizens started to be suspicious of Mark Antony because of his uh, affair that he was having with Cleopatra, and they were afraid of this uh, Egyptian-Roman marriage that was happening. Uh, And so Mark Antony started falling out of favor with some of uh, the Roman people. So Herod began to host parties with Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and he sent them lavish gifts, and he supported them in their rebellion outside of Alexandria at the time. Uh, and as Mark Antony and Octavius became more and more famous and more and more powerful, a civil war started to happen uh, in the area of Rome. Unfortunately for Herod, uh, he kind of put all of his money on the wrong horse. Uh, because Mark Antony uh, was defeated by Octavius. Mark Antony hightailed it back to Alexandria with Cleopatra, and within a short time, Julius Caesar's nephew, Octavius, became Caesar Augustus, the very first emperor of Rome, and again, the character that we see in the Christmas story. So Herod realized in this moment, uh uh-oh, I've kind of Put all my chips. I went all in on Mark Antony. Uh, Mark Antony's out. Uh, He's not even around anymore. And now I have to deal with Octavius, who is now the most powerful person in the known world. And so he had a few options. One, 
just kill yourself and get it over with because that's probably what is going to happen. Uh, I'll try and run. Maybe I'll run to some other place, but Octavius would find him or he could just kind of hide and hope that uh, Octavius doesn't find him. And, uh, but Ter- Herod didn't choose any of those three options. Instead, what we see that Herod did tells us a lot about the type of person that he was. Again, remember, he's very savvy. He's trying to, everything he can do to align himself with those who are in power, who are going to give him the, uh, the most opportunity to be a person of fame and power and influence and build a legacy. And so Herod gets on a boat and goes to Rhode Island, uh, where Octavius, the island of Rhode, sorry, where Octavius is... Um, he is there. That's where he's living. And he goes to Octavius's home and he knocks on his door. It's a bold move. He knocks on his door. Uh, you know, people open the door, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, and he said, I'd like to speak to Octavius. And so they bring him into the presence of Octavius and it's a miracle that he didn't get murdered, uh, in that moment. Uh, but he gives this speech. He says, as you know, Octavius, I was a loyal supporter from the very beginning of your great enemy, Mark Antony. And as you know, I pledged my support to him in the very beginning, and I was loyal to him all the way to the end. So what you know about me is that I'm a loyal person. And whoever I pledge my loyalty to, I will give my life for. And so, O great Caesar, Octavius, I pledge my loyalty to you. So this is Herod's move. And Caesar was so amazed and impressed with his boldness and what he said that not only did he not take the kingdom of Judea away, not only did he not kill him, but he actually gave him uh, complete power over the, the region of Judea, Samaria, Jericho, Gaza, and Herod became a person of great influence from that point on. So this is the person of Herod. Very politically astute, very ambitious, always wanting to align himself with who is being successful and who is in power, being very, very concerned about his legacy and what people thought of him. And he actually made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. He had 10 wives. Uh, He changed his will four different times. And each time he changed his will, um, you know, he decided he didn't like this kid as much as the next kid. And so he would murder his own kid and then change his will to the next kid, you know, to the point where the kids are like, okay, it's okay, dad. You know, I don't want to be in your will. I don't need the inheritance. It's fine. Uh, he was a little bit crazy. Um, he was so committed to controlling the kingdom and he wanted uh, a legacy so badly. He actually murdered one of his wives. He murdered so many rabbis uh, that rabbis wouldn't even enter the holy city of Jerusalem uh, because they were afraid of King Herod. And when he, when he got mad and when he was in a bad mood, he did whatever he wanted to do. And so this is the Herod that we encounter in the biblical narrative who plays a primary role in the Christmas story. In contrast with the other characters in that story that we've been looking at, whom God is entrusting to, whom he's speaking to, um, whom he's revealing himself to, Herod is on the outside of the story looking in. Uh, now, we, when we get to the biblical narrative about the birth of Jesus, Herod at this time is about 70 years old, and he's very sick. He's suffering from a painful kidney disease, and he's trying to consolidate his power and make sure the next generation carries on his legacy and remembers how great he was. Um, and this is the moment where he gets the most disturbing news, that five miles south of where he is, there's a new king 
uh, that is going, that is being born. There's a new king, and this king is a baby, and he's learning to walk. And this is how Matthew introduces the story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Can you imagine, now knowing what you know about Herod, Magi come from this other place and say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Well, Herod's thinking, this is, that's my job. Right, that's who I am. This is my legacy. And so obviously when Herod heard this, it says he was, what does it say? Everybody say, disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was disturbed, disturbed, and the whole city was disturbed with him. Why? Not because of Jesus. Because they knew that when Herod was disturbed, they should be disturbed. When Herod was angry, he became dangerous. When Herod was in a bad mood, people paid He was likely to do anything, and now he's an old man, and he's in pain, and he's getting desperate about the legacy that he's going to leave and who's going to take his fame from him. So Herod's disturbed, so he called together all the people's chief priests, teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and Judea. They replied. So again, we talked about this last week, but he called the religious leaders and the chief priests uh, because they knew the answer where Jesus, this Messiah, was supposed to be born. And so he pulled them together and said, where is this happening? And they responded by saying, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. This is like the worst news imaginable for Herod. That was Herod's job. Herod was king. He was supposed to rule. This was his land. This was given to him by Octavius. For another king to show up would mean that Herod would be out of a job. For another king to to take the throne would mean that Herod would have to step off of the throne. And he didn't like that very much. Then Herod called all the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now the Magi were going to show up to worship him. And the word worship means to become prostrate, to bend your knee. Which is an act of acknowledging that you are in the presence of someone greater than you. That you are in the presence of someone that you are going to um, bend your will for. You are going to change how you live in light of the person that you are in front of. This is, this is the act of worship, of bending your knee. That someone else is king and you are not. So, Sarah, so Herod gives lip service to this and he says, tell me where this Jesus, this Messiah is so that I may come to him and worship him. And he says that with his words, but in his heart, everything wants to stand up and not to bend or to bow down. I think there's a little bit of Herod in every one of us. This is probably why I identify with Herod more than other biblical characters is because Herod could say something even when his heart wasn't in agreement with what he was saying. And how many times have I, how many times have you given lip service to something or said something 
because you knew it was the right thing to say, but in your heart, it's not actually what your heart was saying. And they had heard the, and after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were, what does that word say? Overjoyed. So don't miss this. Herod heard the news, and Herod was what? Disturbed. The Magi hear the news, and they're what? Overjoyed. How can somebody experience the exact same thing, the exact same news, and yet have a completely opposite reaction? Well, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out. You know, when the Edmonton Oilers win a game, some of us here are weeping and some of us are rejoicing, right? Because who, who are you cheering for? Who are you cheering for to win? I mean, this is, this is sports, but this applies to so many areas in life that, that your perspective, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your motives completely dictate the emotional uh, stature and position of your heart. Your response is predicated on how, what your motive is for hearing that, for experiencing that. And so when, when Herod hears this news, his heart was already dead, Santa gets bowing his knee because he wanted so bad to be the king of his kingdom and to rule and to reign and to have a legacy that was about him. And so when he heard the news, he was disturbed. We see that the Magi not only said that they wanted to worship him, but we know from last week when they showed up on the scene, they actually did because in their heart, what they wanted was to bow their knee to the ruler and to the king. They didn't bow their knee to Herod, they bowed their knee to Jesus. And so the Magi hear it and they're overjoyed. Herod hears it and he's disturbed. See, Jesus is not good news for everybody. And sometimes we forget this. But for the proud... For those who are most interested in building their own kingdom, Jesus is not good news. Because Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so by nature of that, it, it actually means it necessitates a certain response. And some of us come to that news and we're overjoyed, and some of us come to that news and we're disturbed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't just talk about it. They actually did it. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity and who, and who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so here we go on this one horrible morning or afternoon or evening. 
Jesus said, or Herod said, if I cannot find Jesus, if I cannot find the Messiah, if I don't know who he is, then I'm just going to opt for the nuclear option. And every kid who was born in the time frame that I found out from the chief priest and the teacher of the law and the magi, every kid that was born in that vicinity is going to be killed. And so that's what happened at, at Herod's orders, soldiers went out into Bethlehem, into the countryside, into the surrounding villages and towns, and they went into those places and killed every boy that was two years or under and every family member that stood in the way trying to stop them. Now, this is an extreme story. You know, when I say I most identify with Herod, let me be clear that, you know, this is not the part of the story that I identify with. Um, But... Many of us, when we are most interested in building our own kingdom, make decisions all the time that negatively impact our spouses, our children, our coworkers, because our eyes are set more on what we can accumulate and what we can build on our reputation, on our legacy, than we are concerned about the kingdom of God. And so the story continues, and the next verse starts this way. After Herod died. Interesting. Uh, Because this is the fate of every human being. And if we remember, Herod was in so much pain that uh, even before he died, he actually tried to commit suicide. And committing suicide at that time was a very painful decision. And so he attempted it because of the pain that he was in. And, uh, and he had a family member, that, a cousin that actually came in and found what he was trying to do and stopped him from doing it. So eventually Herod died from his, uh, from his condition. But just before he died, he gave a command to gather all of uh, the wealthy and influential people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And he said that at the hour that I die, you are to execute all of them so that someone will be mourning on the day that I die. Because Herod knew that nobody would be mourning when he died. People would be celebrating. Not only did he want to kill all the babies, he wanted to kill the, pe- the other people that the people loved so that when he died, there would be mourning. So Herod died, and we know from Josephus, a uh, Jewish historian, uh, that Herod died and they released all of those influ- influential men. They didn't follow any of Herod's orders after he died. And in this incredible story, Herod Herod the Great, as he would be called, uh, wouldn't be thought of or remembered as being great. Herod the Great actually just becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. And I wonder what Herod would have thought about his legacy. If you would have talked to him a couple thousand years ago and said, you know, Herod, in 2,000 years, people are going to be talking about you. He'd be like, oh, good. That's great. Just one thing. They're not going to be talking about what you built, the temple you rebuilt, Herodium, your palace city. They're not going to be talking about the aqueducts. They're not going to be talking about any of that stuff. 
What they're going to be talking about is the baby that was born five miles south of you, and you were just a footnote in the story. After Herod died. And when I read that phrase, and perhaps it's because of, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to my 40th birthday, and so I'm, you know, I'm a week away here. And so maybe I reflect on these things more and, you know, these certain milestones. But, you know, you start to think about these things. After Herod died, uh, after fill in the blank died, after Matt died, you know, put your own name in there. What is the legacy that will be told about my life? What is your legacy that is going to be told about your life? Because the reality is that every one of us is a footnote in the story of Jesus. But the question is, which side of his story are you on? Herod reminds us that we all leave a legacy. But our legacy isn't going to be, ter- be determined by what we built, by what we accumulated, by what we drove, by how big of a house we lived in or what community we live in, how, how far we made it in our career. Our legacy isn't going to be built on the brand that we built or the social media influence that we had or the number of likes or followers that we had. Our legacy is going to be built on how we, on whether we spent our lives following the king or whether we clenched our fist and decided we were going to build our own kingdom. That's going to be the dividing line of each of our stories. And as a pastor, I've been around enough funerals and celebration services. And I've been to some sad services where people talk about everything the person built because that, those are the only good things that they could find to talk about. But the people that lived well, people aren't talking about what they accumulated. People are talking about how much they loved God, how much they sacrificed for the sake of others, for their children, for their spouse, how they gave of themselves, how they served others. It's the posture of the magis that people are remembered by. We don't remember the Herods, yet we spend so much of our energy in our lives trying to build our own kingdoms, don't we? We spend so much of our lives pursuing resume virtues versus eulogy virtues, if that makes sense. We spend our lives building resumes. But if if I were to ask each of you, what do you want people to remember about you when you die? I don't think any of those resume things you would want to even be mentioned What will your story be in relationship to King Jesus? Will it be the story of resistance like Herod, or will it be the story of submission and worship like the Magi? A story of resume building or a story of eulogy building? Will your story be about my will or thy will? Because we're all a footnote in the story of Jesus, but we need to decide which side of his story do we want to be on. And even though I maybe identify with Herod because I find myself in the trap of my own kingdom building, I am inspired by Joseph. I'm inspired by the Magi. I'm inspired by the shepherds who come humbly. Joseph who served faithfully and willingly. The Magi who were honest doubters and seekers but kept pursuing this king. 
those are the types of people I want to model my, my life after because God entrusts himself to the humble. He entrusts himself to the faithful. He entrusts himself to those who seek him. And God withholds himself from those who are proud. God withholds himself from those who will not bend their knee. And we're going to end this morning with a couple of songs. And during the song, we're going to take communion together. And I would encourage you to, to find similar elements at home if you're joining us online. And we have four stations in here. Um, and there's gluten-free options at each station. Uh, but I would invite you to the communion table. But the communion table, again, is this place that is either a place of joy or a place of being disturbed because it's the place where we recognize Jesus as King and Lord of our lives. And so there's no pressure to come to the communion table, but it's an invitation to come. That before Jesus went to the cross, he said to his disciples as he was eating the, the, the meal together that this bread... It's a symbol of my body that's going to be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This, this wine, and we have juice here, uh, the, this juice is a symbol of my blood that is spilt for you for the forgiveness of sins. Come and receive it. Come and bend your knee. Come and partake. And so it's an invitation. Uh, and so we invite you during this, this next song, um, to come to the communion tables to receive the elements. Uh, and we, we encourage you just to take them uh, during your own time. We actually have two songs. And so anytime during the next two songs, you can go to the tables and, and receive the elements. Uh, you don't need to hold on to them. You can um, take them at any point during this worship time. Uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have invited us to receive him when we come humbly, when we come honestly, when we come seeking to be faithful and to bend our knee to you. But Lord, we're also reminded in the story that Herod was on the outside of your story. And we don't want to be that, Lord. So we, we just repent of our pride. We repent of pursuing our own kingdoms and building our own reputations and putting all of our energy into this, Lord, when you've actually called us to bend our knee and to spend our lives following you and living out of the overflow of that. So Jesus, thank you for that reminder. We thank you for your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilt for us. We receive this and remember what you have done and choose to live today in light of that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. this uh, text when I uh, got off the stage. It said, uh, a few days before my mom passed from cancer that ravaged her body 10 years ago tomorrow, she said these words, I have lived well with the Lord. I have loved well with the Lord. I can't believe he loves me so much. Um, it's my prayer that that is what I will be able to say at the end of my life uh, and for you as well. 
when you read the Christmas story, um, who is the main character? This baby king is the main character. Every other character in the story, uh, what is is said about them is, is said about them in relationship to Jesus. Their legacy that we know them for is how they lived in relationship to Jesus. And that will be the same for your story and my story. Our legacy is determined by how we lived in relationship to Jesus. And perhaps for some of you, this is a reminder to, uh, to come back and to bend your knee and to stop building your own kingdom and to put your energy into building his kingdom. Uh, perhaps for some of you, uh, you've never actually made the decision to put Jesus in the center of your story. And I would encourage you to do that this morning. We have prayer teams available at the end of the service that would love to pray for you. Um, so that you can begin rewriting your story. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the revelation of who you are. We thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that we are not. Because we see in the person of Herod what happens when we make ourselves king. And Lord, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be known for what we built, for what we acquired. Lord, we want to be known as people that loved you well, that loved others well. Lord, that gave our lives to you in the service of others, that spent our lives longing for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. May that be our story. And Lord, we also recognize in this Christmas season that this is not an easy season for many people. Lord, it's a reminder of loss. It's a reminder of things that once was but are no longer. And so, Lord, we pray that we would experience you as Emmanuel, God, with us, regardless of what the season brings. And we thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Thank you for coming. A reminder, uh, our services are on December 24th at 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you there.